From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. This is your news for Monday, May 17th. Governor Spencer Cox has said Utah will likely sue if President Joe Biden enlarges Bears Ears National Monument. But experts say that could be a hard case to win. From our partners at KUER, Kate Gretzinger has more. Just five miles west of Bluff, in southern San Juan County, there's a campground called Sand Island. It's nestled between a steep cliff and the bank of the San Juan River, and it's home to some spectacular rock art. So, you know, we started off walking by some Ute imagery, maybe 150, 200 years old. We were already here at 4 to 8,000 years old, and we're headed toward 14,000 years old. Josh Ewing is the director of a bluff-based conservation group called Friends of Cedar Mesa. He says Sand Island was included in a 1904 map of potential monuments in the southwest that included a huge chunk of San Juan County. So the guy that was arguing for the Antiquities Act, you know, had a dot on his map that was saying this area needs to be protected for this very site. Congress passed the Antiquities Act in 1906, giving presidents the power to create national monuments. And when President Barack Obama used it to create Bears Ears over a century later, he included Sand Island in the 1.3 million acre monument. But President Donald Trump took it out, along with thousands of other archaeological sites, when he reduced the monument by 85 percent. Ewing says that was a mistake. You know, when you have a landscape that's so beautiful as this, so much geology, so much science, and then you have the cultural on top of it, it starts to become not really practical to make it small. Biden promised to restore the monument during his campaign, and his administration is currently reviewing its boundaries. But Governor Spencer Cox has said the state of Utah is likely to sue the federal government if that happens. He says large national monuments hurt rural Utahns by reducing economic development opportunities. He expressed his frustration during a news conference in April. Are we going to have the ability for presidents to lock up millions of acres or are we going to force them to actually follow the Antiquities Act and make those areas as small as possible to protect the actual antiquities? Supreme Court Chief Justice John Roberts recently wrote in a memo that presidents have abused their power by designating large monuments. And some lawyers agree, like David McDonald. He works for a nonprofit called the Mountain States Legal Foundation. There are specific places and objects that can be protected. The problem is you can't use that as an excuse, as a smokescreen for doing what's essentially a stealth national park. He says the Antiquities Act was passed so that presidents could move quickly to protect archaeological sites from looting, not lock up huge amounts of land. It was always intended to function as a limited, both in time and in space, temporary kind of stopgap until Congress could figure things out. He says early versions of the Antiquities Act include size limitations, but those didn't make it into the final draft. Instead, the act says monuments can be created to protect, quote, objects of historic and scientific interest. It also stipulates they must be the smallest size possible to protect those objects. That leaves a lot of room for interpretation, according to John Ruppel. He's a law professor at the University of Utah. It's the president's discretion of of what those objects are and what that scale is. And no court has ever disturbed a president's conclusion on those grounds. He says the Supreme Court has been extremely liberal in its definition of what constitutes an object. For example, it ruled in 1920 that the Grand Canyon is an object. And in 1976, it said the same thing about a habitat for a rare fish in Death Valley National Park. 
so we have the Supreme Court twice saying that landscapes are objects and then saying that ecosystems are objects. He says in order to prove Bears Ears is too big, lawyers would have to prove the landscape within the monument is not an object. But there are plenty of reasons to say it is, according to Jim Allison. He's an archaeologist at Brigham Young University. One of the reasons why the landscape itself, I think, is is an object of archaeological interest is that we can see these patterns change through time and where people were living, the size of sites, all those kinds of things. But we can only see them at the landscape scale. Allison says the landscape is also important to the Navajo, Hopi, Zuni, and Ute tribes whose ancestors lived there. The tribes are interested in the area because of the history of the area and their associations with it. Does that not make it an object of historic interest? He compares it to the famous Hole in the Rock Trail, which Mormon settlers used to reach Bluff in the early 1900s. Some places you can see the trail, and other places it's just kind of a guess where it went, right? But I think that a lot of the white people in San Juan County would argue that that whole trail ought to be seen as an object of historic interest. And it is. The trail was added to the National Register of Historic Places in 1982. Allison says Bears Ears deserves the same kind of protection. And since the monument proposed by the author of the Antiquities Act, the one that included Sand Island, covered a huge swath of San Juan County, he says it's hard to argue that's not what Congress intended. Kay Gretzinger, KUER News. That story comes from our partners at KUER. Utah officials are cutting back on jobless benefits, claiming that federal bonus payments are keeping thousands of Utahns from returning to work. The move was announced last week by Governor Cox. Critics say an early end to the $300 weekly pandemic stimulus and other related benefits will hurt thousands of recipients by slashing their income before they are ready or able to re-enter the workforce. Mark Richardson with the Public News Service has more. Chase Thomas, executive director of the Alliance for a Better Utah, says the move will force many workers to re-enter an economy that is not fully recovered from the COVID-19 crisis. With the pandemic, we've learned that there are a lot of deficiencies with our existing economic system, whether it's the low level of unemployment benefits or also just going back to a severely deficient minimum wage Cox calls the move a natural step toward returning the state to normal and claims there are more than 50,000 jobs available in Utah. But Thomas accuses him of simply copying a dozen other red state governors in ending the payments without proof that there is a labor shortage. Thomas also believes many Utahns are hesitant to return to the job market out of concern that the pandemic is not over yet. It remains to be seen. We know that the pandemic is ongoing and that there are people that are still feeling unsafe going back to work. We also know that there are still industries that haven't fully recovered yet. George Hammond is chief economist at the Eller College of Management at the University of Arizona. He says it is likely that the pandemic is causing long-term permanent changes to the American workforce. This is an issue that has been built as we see continued large-scale retirements of older people as they reach that age. You know, the baby boom generation has been retiring in large numbers for years now, and it's going to continue to affect labor supply. Currently, about 28,000 Utahns are receiving the additional $300 a week federal benefit. Under Cox's plan, the unemployment stimulus and other federal payments originally scheduled to end in September will now end in late June. I'm Mark Richardson. That piece comes from our partners at the Public News Service. Water is again flowing in the Colorado River's delta in northern Mexico. From KUNC, Luke Runyon has more. 
The last time water reached the river's parched final 100 miles was during a much-publicized pulse flow in 2014. This new effort taps into water set aside for environmental restoration as part of an agreement between the U.S. and Mexico. Jennifer Pitt manages the National Audubon Society's Colorado River Program and says these new flows will benefit ecosystems that have been deprived of water. We're trying a different way of putting water in the river this time. And what we're doing is having water move through Mexico's irrigation system in the Mexicali Valley. Reliance on the river for use in cities and on farms in both countries has left the Colorado River Delta mostly dry over the last 50 years. The environmental flows will continue over the summer. I'm Luke Runyon. And that's the KZMU News for Monday, May 17th. Get your community-powered journalism Monday through Friday at noon and 7. You can also find KZMU News anytime online at kzmu.org or wherever you listen to podcasts.